A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week, I have a guest who has been on my wish list for so long. His name is Oliver Berkman. He is an incredible journalist and author, and he wrote the book 4,000 Weeks, which I have been banging on about for, well, since I was first recommended to read it by my brother, who I will have to give personal credit to for introducing me to Oliver's work because um, he, he likes me to give him credit for that. Um, but Oliver is, oh my God, this book and his other books because there are there are several his words just it's like a bomb um they are incredibly soothing grounding calming very intelligent and just give you such helpful anxiolytic food for thought um and i don't even want to go into too much about what the book is about because i just want you to go and read it but here we have a really interesting kind of existential bigger chat about anxiety around time, how we use time, will we ever get on top of time, are we making the best use of our time, our finitude, our limitations. There's lots to unpack. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did and do check out Oliver's work. You will not regret it. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and review. I always appreciate that. And don't forget to sign up to Owning It Real Time if you want some real-time interventions to help manage your anxiety in the moment that you're experiencing it. Oliver Berkman, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you. You are probably my favorite writer of in nonfiction world. Thank you so much for inviting me, and what a what an accolade! That's great. I hope I can uh, live up to expectations. So I was, <laughs> I I'm obviously a big fan of your books, and I, I've um I've read all all three on my Kindle, and <laughs> I was going through the the bits that I'd highlighted, you know, to see like all the bits that kind of stuck out to me. And actually I just got to the point where there was no point in highlighting because it's just every <laughs> single sentence. Every I was like, no, that's also very relevant. No, that's also very good. Oh, so nice. yeah. I've, I've, but I've been there with books myself. Yes. Right. And it, Kindle will only let you highlight like 
certain percentage or something. Anyway. Yeah, at a certain point, it was like, just, just what are you bothering for? It's just the whole thing here. You are, for anyone who doesn't know, um, how dare they not know? You are you are such a brilliant writer on the subject of time management and productivity, but in, not in the way that we typically talk about these things, in a way that's very liberating and confronting our limitations. And I think that's less discussed uh, tool for managing anxiety. So what I would love to talk to you about today is this idea of confronting our limitations or this this obsession we have with productivity and trying to get on top of everything, which I think is just such a, I, I think maybe unbeknownst to yourself, what you've written in all your books has become like a guide for managing anxiety. Well, that's fascinating and and very nice to hear. I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I think I'm in a colloquial sense anyway of the word. Uh, I've always been a somewhat anxious person myself. I know sometimes there's like tension between people who use that word colloquially and people who are talking about specific diagnoses and things. But, um, and I think it's totally legitimate to see like what I'm doing in my books and other writing as um, a sort of personal therapy in that, in that regard. Um, and I, and I kind of feel like, yeah, it, it, the, the thing about facing the reality of uh, how little time we have facing the reality of the negative emotions we we experience i think there's some sort of unifying theory here which is something along the lines of you know avoiding life and the full experience of life as a result of uh because of because you're anxious about um plunging in fully to it for various reasons will always in the long run just make the anxiety worse that might be very obvious to anyone who thinks a lot and lives with anxiety but I think that's the thing that was sort of a that's the big insight for me it's like it's never wrong in the long run to confront the thing you're avoiding to um see to look more clearly at the situation you're actually in and that you know that avoidance becomes its own source of of anxiety that's very theoretical and abstract I'm very oh, happy I to love it I love more, it in more concrete <laughs> terms but uh the book that I suppose everyone has been talking about, Four Thousand Weeks, um, is a is a book like I I know I've probably um fangirled enough at this stage, but I think it's essential reading for everybody, um, and in one way it's sort of anxiety inducing to realize how little time we have, but then it's kind of freeing as well. Tell me about realizing or becoming aware of our our limited time and what that did for you, and how you think that would actually help for someone with anxiety. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, of course, on one level, like this is not news to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, well, the maths think... was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. 4,000 weeks is is pretty scary. And, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get a few more than that. I did round it to a to a nice round number and that entailed rounding it down rather than rounding it up. But, you know, I think I think we all understand on some intellectual level that our time is limited and that this means we can't do everything. But what I really wanted to explore in the book with the kind of daily ramifications of what it means to be finite. So it's not really a book about like death and dying or anything like that. There are lots of, of much better books on, on that kind of subject, but just on this fact of what it is to be a finite human, knowing that there will always be more things that feel like they matter than you're ever going to get a chance to do. And there will always be, um, uh, you know, more things in a day, in a life, more more routes that you could have taken 
that you that would have been good routes to take through life that then then you'll ever be able to take and there's a bunch of other things as well but but the point is the thing that unifies it all i think is like it's this idea of just lowering the stakes um i think from my own experience of uh anxiety that um it's very wrapped up in the idea that the stakes are very high, that terrible things are going to happen if I don't do X or Y, that you've got to do a certain amount of, you've got to produce a certain amount of work or you don't really quite have the right to exist on the planet or some awful thing is going to happen, uh, whether on the sort of emotional internal level or literally in the real outside world, if you don't do certain things or things or things don't go the right way. And what I'm doing all through the book is pointing out that actually the stakes are not as high as they seem. So in the sense of sort of being overwhelmed and having too much to do, there's actually something very liberating about seeing that you will always have too much to do because then it goes from being this, it's getting on top of everything goes from being this very, very hard challenge that you might or might not pull off and it'll be pretty terrible if you don't and you better stress about it a lot to a challenge that nobody is ever going to pull off, right? It's completely systematically impossible from the, the beginning. Um, it's like, um, you know, bracing for a, for a terrible event. Uh, I used this analogy somewhere. It's like spending your life in the brace position in an airplane that's about to crash when actually the airplane already crashed, right? In terms of the idea that, um, you know, we're never going to be able to get around to everything. We're always going to end up having to disappoint some people in our lives. We're always going to have to let go of certain ambitions in order to pursue other ones. It's like we're already on the desert island amid the wreckages of the of the plane. I hope this isn't a, a too 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 traumatizing an analogy for uh, listeners. Um, you know, it's like and uh, uh, Donald Winnicott, the child psychologist, very famously said that. Um, he he found himself reminding his therapy clients again and again that the catastrophe that they feared had already happened and i think that that is such a sort of it's a, such a liberating thought for me um not that uh you know it would be terrible if you didn't do all these things but here are some methods to make sure you do and you win at life but actually no by that definition of winning at life we can't and that means that ship has sailed and now we can focus on just, you know, doing a few things that count with our lives and really sort of living them. Something that I don't know if if you've observed this, I've, I kind of notice it with myself um, where you might be so in the thick of something like the reason that we had to reschedule is because um, my son, I was telling you, was having really, really hard, hard separation anxiety. And I had to really press pause on everything and cancel a lot of things. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to come through this? And slowly but surely with a lot of work, you know, we've, we've emerged. And the thing that I was so worried about has become smaller. And this space has opened up in my mind where there is room for other things. And I think maybe because I don't know whether just being human or being maybe more of a, a prone to worry or an anxious person, like that vacuum got filled with other right. things like, oh, what am I doing work-wise? And right. so as much as we, you know, read all these things that we want to get on top of things, I don't know that we actually do ever feel like okay with being on top of things or when we come out of something and there is space or you complete the to-do list, then it's like you start ruminating on other things to worry about. Like I think it's right. it's a weird we want to worry yeah i think i think that's right and i think that um yeah it's not it's um so yes if if you 
if if something sits in the middle of your consciousness as the the only really problematic thing and you worry about it for days and then it's just resolved for some reason or it goes away uh it is not the case that nothing comes to to fill its its place and i think that you know I, I, this is all slightly just sort of uh speculative but one of the things i write about in the book is this idea that worry is kind of a it it is an effort to feel efficacious on the future it's a way of it feels like doing something mm-hmm. and it feels like you can't afford not to worry even when the act even when the sort of actual actions you take are nothing they're just like you just walk around feeling a bit more miserable than you otherwise would you're not doing anything to forestall the disaster but you are there's this kind of feeling of trying to get um uh trying to get reassurance that everything is fine and then failing because it's talking about the future and you can never be certain what's coming in the future and then trying again and trying again and it's the sense that like you can't you maybe can't afford to stop worrying or that if you worry enough then it seems like the evidence of your life to date is always that if you worry enough then things turn out okay or there's all these kind of strange interactions going on and this is another piece of what i'm sort of trying to get at in the book i think when you when you see that controlling the future and being certain about what's going to happen in the future is not a very difficult struggle but a completely impossible thing that is actually can be at least to some extent liberating because it makes you see that 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 you're it it's it's futile right it's like it really truly is not the case that if you that if you just fret a bit more you'll bring things under your control so i feel like again and again i'm sort of responding to problems that we face and certainly that i myself face with with the idea that like no it's worse than you think and that's good news <laughs> <laughs> so like the struggle that you're engaged in is not very difficult it is impossible it's and impossible. in the shift from very difficult to impossible there is a kind of like oh all right this is the human condition we don't get to know what's coming in the future we don't get to do all the things that feel like they matter. We don't get to make nobody cross with us at any point or disappointed in us. Um, and once you can sort of let that under your skin, yeah, then you can kind of go and do stuff and, uh, you know, do a few things that matter and, and and nurture a few relationships that count without this constant haunting of, um, you know, all the undone ones that it's somehow your fault that uh, that other things are being neglected. In the book Help, there was a quote that I just had open on my Kindle here. You were quoting the psychologist Edward Hallowell and mm-hmm. um, on the hidden pleasures of worry. And I just think I think it's really interesting because we, you know, when we talk about anxiety, it's always this idea of something to, you know, overcome or get rid of. But like yeah. myself, you know, there's there's something, there's an upshot to being negative, I find sometimes. Um, and I yeah. just love this quote. You, you say, or you quote him saying, one of the hidden pleasures is to, that worriers believe they're not safe unless they're worried. It's kind of what you're saying, that the deal they make with fate is, if I torture myself by worrying, I won't be punished with bad outcomes, he told me. The other hidden pleasure is that contentment is too bland. Worry is more stimulating. We don't say she was gripped by contentment. The good news, though, is that worriers tend to be the smartest, most creative people we've got. <laughs> it takes a lot of imagination to dream of all these worries and that is what I always go back to I'm like listen if all if you can be thinking about that many things you've got a few brain cells yeah no absolutely absolutely and I mean the 
that sort of invites a comparison between smart people and and less smart people. But the other comparison that you see running through the sort of philosophical literature on this stuff quite often is between people and and animals, right? I mean, there's or other other animals. There's there's the sense that whatever we know about what is going on in the mind of a of a cat, say. Um, it probably does involve emotions, uh, certainly involves consciousness, but it probably doesn't involve any capacity to summon these multiple future outcomes and to worry about them. Uh, I hesitated from using dogs as the example because I think actually anxiety in dogs is a thing. Oh, my um, dog is waiting for the world to end. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but certainly, you know, this is like one of the things you one of the things you gain when you if you go down the levels of creaturely intelligence from from humans to animals is you do get the sense that uh, they give every they give every indication anyway of being more able to be present in in this moment yeah uh, and that is because they lack these cognitive abilities to like come up with all these hypothetical futures in which terrible things happen oh wish i was a cat so <laughs> we know that you know embracing uncertainty is sort of the antidote and <laughs> that the struggle for uh, certainty is useless and it's not only, I mean, it's perpetuating the anxiety that we think it, it's going to solve, but how do you advise, you know, it's one thing to kind of, okay, acknowledge, I can see what's happening here, but how do you advise we actually go about giving up on that struggle? Yeah, this is the question. And in a broader sense, this question of how we go from what we know is best for us to actually doing it is big focus of what I'm trying to write about at the moment and I'm definitely a work in progress I think there's sort of two levels of answer and the second one I'll come to is kind of like specific tactics and stuff but but I do think the most important one is just to accept that it is a endlessly recursive process of just feeling into this alternative way of seeing things right so people sometimes read my book and then they sort of want they want to sort of the, the five-step plan from putting it into practice mm -hmm. once and for all. And I do give some tips like that in the back of the book, but but I, my response is always like, I haven't put it into practice once and for all. So like, I don't know the answer. Um, it, it's about sort of constantly returning to this ground truth that no, you don't need to do an impossible amount of things in order to, you know, have the right to exist no it is proven again and again and again that when you you find from experience that when that, that your worries turn out to be unwarranted um you that, that that process of like letting the lowering the stakes letting the sort of um radioactive charge out of all of this stuff for me it really is just slow and you know happens through immersion in these kinds of perspectives and thinking about this stuff and journaling about it and therapy and conversations with friends and and it just you know it, it's asking something similarly sort of impossible of humans i think to just click our fingers and and change that and i think it's also worth saying that you get this idea don't you in quite a lot of philosophy that i've found quite useful psychologically between different kinds of anxiety and the idea that there is a kind of anxiety that's just sort of built in to being alive and if you're sort of living authentically and in full awareness of your finitude, your mortality, all this stuff, it's not that you're going to just feel calm all the time, but it's going to be a certain kind of 
anxiety that is the anxiety of really being in the flow of life as opposed to the kind of avoidant anxiety that is has a very different quality and like i know when i'm just avoiding things that need to be done or conversations that need to be had and i know when i'm having addressing those things and having those conversations and in the latter case i'm not just totally happy i'm quite freaked out often but it's a different kind of so there's a subtle difference and it, it it's something more authentic um so i don't know if that is helpful at all the only other thing i was going to say was i yeah i think i've developed as everyone does i'm sure you know various kinds of tricks and coping mechanisms and things like that and uh, one of the one of the things i do to this day if i'm sort of specifically worried about some some aspect of uh my life or my work or something or like a future oriented event coming up you know trying to mitigate the uncertainty around something how will this go right right one of the things well so one of the things i do yeah i mean if there's a specific event like there's an examination or an interview or something like that that would maybe need a slightly different tactic than what i'm about to say but if it's something like you know i'm really worried about this financial situation right now or i'm worried that my uh that i that some parenting issue like do I need to be doing something different with regard to my son's use of electronic screens or something like whatever it is right I I I find that actually like I literally put a a note in my diary or a or a sticker on a year planner like two or three weeks in the future with that issue written on it because it and it for a couple of a couple of benefits of this one of them is like something deep in the kind of worry that I engage in or historically have engaged in has to do with some kind of fear that I would completely forget about the issue and that I need to worry about it all the time in order for it to stay top of mind, which is ridiculous because like by definition, you know, anyone who's a worrier is not going to forget about these things. But there is this, there is this feeling that like you can't afford to drop your vigilance about thinking about an issue and if you know and trust that in two or three weeks time a little note is going to come up in your in your diary saying like okay how's this issue working out it actually enables me anyway to to let go and whenever the worry comes back into my mind i can say like oh yeah it's coming it's coming i'm not i'm not going to accidentally let 10 years go by without addressing this topic it's it's got its time and it's got its place and then secondly of course what you find when you do this a bit is that you know, maybe four times out of five, by the time that date rolls around, the the whole topic is like a distant memory. It's kind of absurd that you were that you were ever worried about it. So I don't particularly, I don't know whether that specific technique is useful to other people, but it's that notion of finding ways to trust that you will cross bridges when you get to them, um, instead of having to engage in this like frenetic attempt to cross all the bridges in your future at once today, which can't be done. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What I love most about that, like the themes running through all the books is just this giving up of this pressure to of positive thinking, which I find so problematic, um, not just because it doesn't allow for the negative feelings but I actually think you know I tried for so long when my anxiety was really bad to just only think positively and only have mm. good vibes only and actually even before I got to your books I think naturally as, as a last resort it was like hang on what if I just actually think about this all going to shit and like make room for the worst case scenario um, and you know actually face that and then be okay with that that like mm-hmm. that was so, that made such a difference to me when it came to future oriented things than just thinking oh no it'll all be fine it'll all you know it'll it'll work out um yeah. and you know you you say in the book um, I can't even remember which one it was because I've just written all my notes here and it's it's across all of them uh, confronting the worst case scenario snaps or saps the worst case scenario of much of its anxiety inducing power um and yeah that just to me is like okay let's actually it's I don't know it's just so like so simple but it's so we're ter- people are terrified to, terrified to think negatively but I don't think it's negatively I think it's actually kind of smart and thinking okay well what am I most afraid of here what if that came to pass would you be okay and you probably would and what would you do and then it like it does just take the horns off it uh, for me but it's not a very it's not like a Pinterest worthy approach to life is it right no it isn't but I think that it's it's it what is so useful about it is that for me it always feels like what it has is a there's a stability to that kind of that willingness to think about bad outcomes uh and to feel negative thoughts uh fully it 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 brings a kind of stability to life so it, it it um it doesn't require like reassuring yourself that bad things aren't going to happen requires this sort of constant uh you have to constantly replenish that. Um, it's very, very brittle. You know, it, it, the moment that something bad happens, you've sort of been proven wrong. Um, and you have to keep on, like reassurance never works for more than a few, you know, minutes or days, depending on the the issue. Once you've sort of accepted that bad things can happen and that that would be tolerable if they did, you don't have to keep fighting that thought, right? You've sort of brought your guard down and you can stop investing all that energy and attention in holding up the defenses because 
it's not gonna you know in, in almost all of the contexts that we're talking about like it's not gonna kill you it's um it's this strange thing we have maybe it's an evolutionary legacy partly of um of the the, the quality of that fear the idea that you would be sort of annihilated if you let yourself think that thought or if that thing happened it's almost always we know intellectually that that's not on the cards um you know absolutely calamitous tragic things do happen but they're they're not usually the kind of things that we are worrying about they're the things that just happen if they're going to happen mm -hmm. for me i find it really necessary to make room and confront you know your worries are very valid for whatever reason to your brain the same way they are to a child when you might think oh that's silly that's you know that's not going to happen to them or to your brain for whatever reason it it does feel concerned by something and um, for me it's always been important to if I'm going to you know just to balance out because I don't want to always be thinking you know oh god you know preparing myself for the worst all the time I mean that probably takes a little bit of the joy and excitement out of life but for me it's it's worked out well to start with negative and get all the worries out of the way and be like, okay, well, like follow these thoughts to their, to their end, like let your mind run wild, you know, go, go to the places that you think you shouldn't go to. Um, and then when you've kind of exercised or exhausted all those worries, then when you see, okay, well, what actually, if this worked out, okay, it's almost like you're not shoving it down your throat trying to suppress the worries you're almost saying well I've given them their airtime, and now they're probably less likely to pop up at an inopportune time later like such as in the middle of the night or when I'm really about to do something so for me like going in with you know that um negative I for, probably needs a better word first and then the positive thing can actually be far more effective than just trying only to be like nope everything's fine yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's totally right. Because again, to me, again, this, this language of lowering the stakes always really, always really helps. And it, the fact that you've lowered the stakes about something doesn't mean it can't be brilliant. Doesn't mean you can't have a fantastic time. It just the downside risk is what you're is what you're working on reducing. You're working on on seeing that you know, excuse me, it wouldn't be a calamity. It wouldn't be a catastrophe if things didn't work out the way you want them to work out. Uh, not at least in the kind of existential sense that a lot of us go around thinking, right? It might be bad and sad and that would be okay. And you deal with that and you'd cross that bridge when you came to it. And yeah, that sort of prepares the ground for then being really optimistic and ambitious about things. It's not about sort of sinking into resignation and, and mediocrity. It's, um, you know, uh, I need to know on some level if I'm work embarking on a creative project, say, that it wouldn't be, the end of the world if it was kind of rubbish mm -hmm. that frees me up to take the risks and to do the things that, that that stand a chance of making it really good something that i've come to quite late on my uh in my sort of self-learning about about anxiety is this idea of curiosity as and it's neither negative nor positive really is kind of neutral um, mm -hmm. and you talk about choosing curiosity over worry um which i think is a really probably uh underutilized tool for mm -hmm. for almost turning into your into that feeling yeah. of anxiety how how do you practice curiosity about something well i've always really liked that idea that uh, susan jeffers wrote about in that book uh she wrote the book feel the fear and do it anyway but she also wrote another book called embracing uncertainty uh and um she 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 put talks about sort of uh replacing the thought that you hope things turn out a certain way with the thought that you wonder if they'll you wonder how they'll turn out right the sense of sort of it's not 
I really want this to happen. I really want this to succeed in this, or let alone, I really need this to happen. I really need to succeed in this, but just sort of, I wonder what the result of this will be. I wonder what, how this will, will turn out. And that's just a, a linguistic change, but I think it, I think it points to a, a shift of perspective. And the, the thing that's so powerful about it to me is that it doesn't ask me to replace my, my worry with kind of supreme confidence that everything's going to go great or even with a kind of you know zen-like lack of any attention to the future just being purely present in the moment it says that no you can go on having a real investment in how things turn out and you can go on allowing for the possibility that how they'll turn out will be bad <laughs> but you've just shifted your vantage point slightly into a kind of observer of the situation um and, and so it, you're no longer sort of needing it to to go a certain way. It, it's just sort of there's something fascinating about moving into the next moment of life in that in that way. When I remember to do it, uh, because it's kind of it makes it all an adventure. And as I say at some point in one of the books, yeah, I can't remember which one either now. But like you know, curiosity is not if you need something to go a certain way and it doesn't go that way, then you've failed, right? You've been, reality has defeated you in some way. Curiosity can't be defeated because even if it turns out to be sort of something goes badly wrong, then like, okay, you're interested in that and that's what happens. So there's no sort of, you're not at loggerheads uh, with, with reality in the same way. You're just sort of uh, moving, moving forward in it to, uh, to, to see what, what happens. And I think that is really powerful. And it reminds me of that that saying, I don't know who I don't know who this quote originates with, but but um almost everything in life is either a good time or a good story, right? That with exceptions, and there are exceptions, things either go really well or they go badly, and you kind of can very soon afterwards laugh about it or share bond over the experience of talking about it with with friends or whatever so or use it if you're a writer person you know it's great to have it's great to have things go slightly wrong because then you have oh definitely I'm to not write about. i can mine this for content <laughs> um, something that can be very anxiety inducing is is just being confronted with the decision that has to be made um and this you know a lot of could go this way could go that way do you have i mean given all that you've written about do you have like a go-to like not that i want you to reduce it to a formula but is there questions that you ask yourself when it comes to making a decision that's not uh super clear to you i mean yeah i do mention in the book and i've mentioned in a bunch of places this this question from james hollis about whether a choice enlarges you or diminishes you mm -hmm. i find that to be a really useful form of language because um you know, I'm very liable. It's, it's a very, it's a mistake to ask the question, what, well, which things did I choose? What will make me happiest? Because we're so bad at, um, at judging what will, what will make us, uh, happy. And, um, uh, and yet this question about whether something will enlarge you or diminish you sort of, to me, it speaks to this question of, you know, the prospect of doing something can make you anxious and it can be the kind of thing that you should do anyway, or the kind of thing that you shouldn't bother doing and navigating between those is quite, is quite tricky. But when I ask the question, like, is this enlarging me? Would this be growth? Um, then it's a lot easier to sort of move forward with the things that you might worry about, but that, but that are for the best because 
you, you there's a sort of underlying reason for for doing them so i think it's just always good to subvert to get around the question what would make me happiest get around the question you know what would feel most comfortable it's not that you should be pursuing discomfort and anxiety and misery through life it's that you should sort of be seeking to take decisions uh in a way that doesn't go either way on those questions right i mean there's nothing wrong with avoiding anxiety inducing experiences if they are also just no part of the fulfilling meaningful life you want to build but yeah. then again it's a tragedy to avoid them if they are part of that so yeah i think a, a question or a sort of a, a tool that I, I sort of came to the conclusion of was, you know, knowing the difference between personality and anxiety, like whether if something, if you're, if you're not going to do something because it's just not your personality or, you know, you're just not the kind of person who likes this, or like, for example, I don't have any desire to go camping in the wilderness in the Amazon. And like, right, but I, right. I would have at plenty of times thought you have to do that to be living fully and right, right. You're not doing it because you're anxious. And I'm actually like, no, actually I just don't want to. Um, yeah. So the question I ask myself is, well, if you didn't have any anxiety at all, would you would you want to? Yeah. Um, and if the answer is yes, then you should probably it's probably something that would enlarge you and you should kind of work to push through. And if it, if the answer is no, then it's just like in a way kind of. I, lo I like that idea of. Not just talking about limitations in time or what you can get done, but our actual personal limitations of that's just not going to suit me or I'm not the kind of person that's going to cope. Like for example, you know, there could be an amazing job offer that comes along and it's the expectation is just a huge amount of work and hours. And I just know having been through what I've been through that I have limitations there in, in terms of like my output for my mental health. Like if I was to be, you know, grinding all day long and working within those limitations has been, might seem like I'm letting anxiety win, but actually it's, there's a difference, you know, between surrender, like we say, avoidance and actually be like, no, hang on, I'm working with myself here. I think you're totally right. And it's like we have non-negotiable limitations and then we have like false limiting beliefs and 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 the non-negotiable ones I tend to focus on, like the, our limited amount of time and things like that. But to some extent, personality can have those fixed points in it. And the there's two things here. Actually. One is exactly as you say, right? You, just as you don't want to avoid doing meaningful things because of anxiety you don't want to sort of spend your life miserably making yourself do things just because they trigger anxiety mm -hmm. um you know uh playing chicken running across railway lines triggers anxiety you should still never do it um <laughs> and so you know th that's really important right this is not about trying to be as mean to yourself as possible to prove some point mm -hmm. it's about living the life that you want to live and paying less heed to anxiety and worry as you do it, if you can, not not creating some life you didn't want to live just so you can say it's extraordinary or something. Um, and then I think the other the other part of this is is that um, or just one other thing to say, I guess really, is that sometimes what makes people worry or anxious, especially in the culture that we live in now, is actually living a a life that looks what they consider to be too ordinary or doing things that they consider yeah. to be too mundane right so you know it's scary to spend every weekend base jumping and bungee jumping and things like that but but it's scary in a different way to be like oh that's not for me and actually this sort of relatively quiet routine uh 
meaningful but not exceptional looking life is the thing that I want to like that's fine too and it can easily you know in a culture that rewards fame in the way that ours does or holds it up as something to to emulate it can easily be that the anxiety of not fulfilling your potential that feels mm -hmm. like something I'm quite familiar with in a way it's like I think you fulfilled yeah, yeah, yours yeah. a lot so far anyway oh. with the books you've written oh, that's, that's very nice to hear but no I mean I just feel like it's yeah there's a sort of a this this notion that 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 actually by by chilling out a bit by sort of resting and relaxing you trigger anxiety because you ought to be doing something else. It goes in every direction. Yeah. Do you think we have a sort of a skewed perception of, you know, all this talk about like self-belief and you can do anything. And the, like you say, the way society rewards fame. Are we creating more problems for ourselves by thinking that we have to have such an incredibly meaningful, fulfilled existence that's going to leave its mark on the world? We can't all do that. It's not that wouldn't there wouldn't be enough room. Right. No, I take your point. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I do touch on this in the book. I mean, I think the, the, the way around this is to say, no, we should all be striving for a meaningful life, but we should be really careful about what, how we're defining that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really um, influenced by a book called Finding Meaning in an Imperfect World by a philosopher called Ido Landau. And he makes this point that like, there's just something very cruel to ourselves about having a definition of a meaningful life that implicitly includes like people are going to remember what you did a millennium from now or or even just like i'm going to stand out um among my contemporaries because as you point out if everyone stands out above their contemporaries then nobody then nobody does um and and what i take him to be saying is not you know forget it we're just gonna have meaningless lives it but rather like why use that as the standard of meaningfulness, right? That's sort of a, a rigged game because even the, you know, even the most famous people in our society today uh, who might well be remembered 200 years from now, you can always just turn it around by saying, well, okay, what about a thousand years from now? Like, what about 10,000 years from now? Mozart and Beethoven won't be remembered like a million years from now, probably. And mm -hmm. maybe there won't be human beings. But will any know, of but, us even but, be here a million right, years? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you can always just, you know, zoom yeah. out further until even the most significant life becomes insignificant. That's, that's just a silly trick. Um, if on the other hand, you say, well, maybe that's not what meaning is. Maybe, maybe meaning is a sort of a feeling of being fully alive and maybe if i you know help a handful of people on the planet while i'm on the planet cook nutritious meals for my family or you know uh write a book that a that a that a bunch of people but you know still a tiny tiny number compared to the population of the planet ever um ever read or, or or you know i do some volunteering work in my community and help make it a slightly calmer and kinder and more beautiful place like why are we not accepting that as part of a as a definition of a meaningful life because it does we get the feeling when we do those things that we associate with a meaningful life which is that feeling of like this is where i should be i'm doing i'm doing the thing that i that i came here for or, or whatever mm -hmm. so I think the answer to that is like, yes, we can drive ourselves to extra anxiety and misery by by demanding that we live uh, incredibly meaningful lives if what we mean is extraordinary. Yeah. But we don't have to mean extraordinary by meaningful. It can be very, very 
quiet and ordinary and still very meaningful in i think it was help you you talk about um and i really this was really enlightening for me the difference between happiness and fulfillment and i think it's probably another existential anxiety that you know oh am i happy am i so for example with you know since becoming a parent and and there's this expectation that becoming a parent will make you happier um mm. and actually you i really appreciate it talk about that <laughs> more often than not you know the the research shows that people are maybe however it's measured less happy as parents but more fulfilled and that to me has just like been like a permission slip to be like okay because I talk a lot about my experience of anxiety since becoming a parent which I Mm. I, has been a lot um you know a lot of self-doubt a lot of just worrying about him and it's been difficult and um but and like thinking you know god I haven't loved every minute treasure every moment all this bollocks um which you can't do and right yeah. You know, it's it's then that's pressure and then that's more anxiety. But to realize that even even despite the days that are shit or hard or I'm, you know, wanting to get past, there is I do know that there is a fulfillment there when 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 happiness might be more fleeting. So I just love your thoughts on on, on happiness versus fulfillment. Yeah, no, I think that's a really that's really that's really well put and really true. And to some extent mirrors my own experience of uh becoming a parent um uh there's that great book title about psychology of parenting called all all joy and no fun mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, i think is uh gets at something true although maybe it's not all joy but um right i mean happiness two things firstly happiness is an emotional is an is a is an emotional state and I don't think you can reasonably aim for one emotional state, like at all. Fulfillment is something else. Fulfillment is to do with looking back over the last year of your life, or the last, or your whole life, or the last day, and feeling like you know, this was like I was in the right place. I was doing the right things. This was this is why I'm. Oh, this is, I was making a contribution. Whatever, whatever it is. Also, happiness has this terrible built-in fact that like the more you try to pursue it, the harder it is to to feel because you spend your time sort of monitoring yourself to see if you're happy enough and beating yourself up if you're and not happy enough which... keep shifting you know you're kicking right. the can yeah. down the road yeah absolutely um and uh and so fulfillment i think is totally compatible with being anxious and being worried and being like feeling like things didn't go well on a given day you can still sort of see it all as part of a journey that is that there's a point in taking um whereas if you're going to measure it by well you know was i sufficiently happy today uh you're going to get really tangled up uh very quickly and find it wanting as you say almost systematically because the goalposts shift so even if you do feel happy it'll start to be like not happy not happy enough mm-hmm. and um i mean parenting's just ridiculous you take people who are sort of anxious about not being able to control how things go and then you give them you give them a kind of overwhelming emotional investment in like a total separate being that they absolutely can't control how everything goes with um it's uh no so it's a wonder anyone ever goes through with it (laughs) (laughs) on the subject of time in general and our finitude and the anxiety of you know um carpeing the dm 
I love the quote in the book. There is an alternative, the unfashionable but powerful notion of letting time use you, approaching life not as an opportunity to implement your predetermined plans for success, but as a matter of responding to the needs of your place and your moment in history. And that to me, I don't know whether it was meant this way, but it kind of, again, it's sort of that like permission slip to be like, okay, like for the last few months, I haven't felt like I've been using time the way I, I intended to or where I thought I might be career wise or anything. But I've had to respond to the situation that I've been dealt with with my son. And and this is the season that I'm in. And I just love the idea of not trying to we can't master time and mm-hmm. just sort of responding to our position in it wherever we find ourselves is, is a little bit more manageable. Right. And I mean, I think, yes, I think that's true. And I'd um the meditation teacher Susan Piver puts it she says it, she asks this question like what need what needs to happen um or what wants to happen actually I think is her phrasing which is even better somehow because it doesn't get involved in like what your obligations are your, or your duties mm-hmm. are but like what is wanting to take place through me um and I think it's worth noting that like even people who seem to be living in a very different way to that who seem to be living these very self-directed you know here's my business plan and now i will implement and build this incredibly successful business and my life is all you know whatever they too are actually always responding moment by moment to the needs of the moment they may be they may have certain kind of willpower or discipline better at us (laughs) well they may have like privileged financial resources all manner of things you know there's all sorts of different things but they but they're still they're not act they may kid themselves i don't think they're better i think they might be more self-deluded right i mean they they may kid themselves that that they're not um you know co-creating their lives with the rest of the universe but they actually always are right so i don't think that it it i don't think it makes sense to see it as going wrong or falling off the falling off the path or something if things happen in your life that require your attention now and that means that other things don't get that attention for a while that's actually an artful way of of using your attention and you know i don't know if you've ever read like the Tao Te ching these book religious texts in taoism are always making these kinds of they're full of all these images of like how the wise person is like a uh, is like a sapling that bends in the breeze or a it's water that flows around stones that it meets. Those images of water are really kind of central because mm-hmm. it is this idea of going forward by adapting, not like bullheadedly deciding what you want to do and then like colliding endlessly with with reality. So it's like not only wiser just because we each do find ourselves in the situation that we find ourselves in, but it's actually the way to accomplish like impressive and fun and good things in in life is to be able to to react and respond to the situation that you're actually in instead of constantly trying to fool yourself that you're in a different one and that alone just that image of just bringing it down to the moment that you're in or the day that you're in is powerful for anxiety as well um instead of trying to take on life and the rest of your life as this enormous thing this thing to master um before i let you go i know you've to you've to rush off someone sitting down to read 4,000 weeks or hopefully having purchased it now, having listened to our chat, <laughs> what, what do you want? What is the desired action from you, if any, from someone realizing or coming uh, to the realization that our time is limited and, and we can't 
we can't master it. What what do you want them to take away from it? I think one thing that I always think is really follows on from this uh, looking at life in this way is there's something in your life that you really want to do and don't do. And it might be writing a novel. It might be starting a business, but it might also just be like nurturing certain relationships might be kind of self-care, might be taking a break, might be doing some fun hobby that you haven't looked at for ages. There's something that you that you know ought to be part of your life and that isn't. And the thing I always want to say is like, just like do a tiny bit of it right now or like today. Um, doesn't it doesn't mean doing an enormously impressive amount. It doesn't mean doing more than five minutes. It doesn't mean reaching any standard, but like you have to, on some level as, uh, as it's been put, you know, pay yourself first with time. You have to, you have to sort of show up now in the way that you want your life to be instead of this thing that it's so easy to fall into, which is to say, well, I can't afford to do any of this now, but I'm busy putting the situation in place so that in six months time or a year's time, it'll all be working. And then I can spend loads of time doing these things. Um, I've always found, no, you can't even wait a day really. Um, it, it doesn't mean you have to like make rash decisions. Certainly not like don't, don't quit jobs or relationships unless you're certain, but like, but, but um, it does mean just like doing a little bit of that thing today and not, and not, putting it off until the time when you are the you're living the kind of life where you can do it you know I've run into people and I've been there myself who are like I really want to have a meditation practice or a habit of reaching out to my long lost friends but I can't get started yet because I don't have the time to like give it 20 minutes every day or to write to a friend every week or something so then they don't do it at all mm. well just do it once like just don't start meditating every day for five minutes. Just meditate for five minutes. Don't start trying to become the kind of person who is in touch with your old friends. Just write one email today, you know, and don't let that feeling of wanting to become a different kind of person get in the way of just doing things that matter to you now. I think that's... Yeah. So like, what's the next thing? What's the What's the immediate thing I need to do right now? Right, and maybe you'll never do it again. Like, yeah. maybe you'll spend 10 minutes writing your novel and that's it, fine. Like, cross that bridge when you come to it. It's not about yeah. saying every day from now at five o'clock in the morning, I will be doing this thing. Just make sure that you do something, like, don't wait, yeah. Amazing advice, Oliver. Thank you so much. Um, like I said at the beginning, I, I could keep you for hours more. Oh, There's thank you. so much in all of the books um, that I would love to unpack with you further. Um, you are, Did you say you're, write, you're writing another one now? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm trying to do that. Yeah. You're yeah. trying to do that. Okay, so there's no details <laughs> yet. Uh, no, I'm remaining uh, coy and secretive about it for a little bit longer. Yeah. Good, good. And if people want to read more, you're, you're, I know you, you have a, um, a subscription newsletter. Where can people find you? Yeah, right. If you go to my website, oliverberkman.com, um, then uh, you can sign up for my uh, my free newsletter, which I call The Imperfectionist. Uh, yeah. Love it. Thank you so much and um, have a great weekend. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Caroline.
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.